there! Welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people from the province. Today we're chatting with Zach Alinek about becoming a reality TV star overnight, the perspective he learned from it, and how that impacted his self-identity. Let's get into it! All right, this is one of the most interesting episodes we've had so far. You're about to hear all about the ups and downs of something that a lot of us cringe or fantasize at the thought of, but never think can actually happen to us. Zach Alinek is joining the podcast to chat about how he went from a student athlete to an overnight international reality TV show star when he was cast on season three of Big Brother Canada. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past 21 years, you know that Big Brother is one of the most beloved reality game shows on television and is known for contestants being locked in a house for 90 days with no access to the outside world, the incredibly emotionally intense environment, and the fact the competition is filmed in real time where the audience has 24-hour access to watch the contestants. I've been watching this show since I was in elementary school, and when Zach was cast as Saskatchewan's first ever contestant on the Canadian version of the series, oh, it was so cool and just so surreal to see someone from your home province on a show you've been watching for two decades. Zach is going to tell us all about the intense casting process that left him with the tough decision on whether to risk years of hard work of being a student athlete for an opportunity to be on one of his favorite TV shows with no guarantee it would last more than a week. We talk about what it was like to walk through the doors of the Big Brother house, the psychological impact of being filmed for three months while isolated from the outside world in a cutthroat environment, navigating newfound celebrity status, and how it impacted his career trajectory as he somehow ended up in med school during a worldwide pandemic. If you know Zach, you'll know what I mean when I say that he is one of the most organically grounded people you'll ever meet. He truly personifies a Saskatchewan kid in the way that he is kind, hardworking, perceptive, and just so authentically interested in people. So whether you are a Big Brother super fan or you've never even heard of the show, there are so many twists and turns to Zach's story that will keep your attention and truly expecting the unexpected. So what connects us to Zach? Let's find out. Zach Linick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Mason. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I really am. I'm so excited you're here. The last podcast guest we've had, they've been remote interviews, and we offered the same option to you because you live in Saskatoon. And you're like, no, I'm coming to Regina. Conversation is better in person. So it's it's fun to not just have you here. Um, the conversation will be much better, but just to be in a presence of a person. is Absolutely. Like, I, feel, Absolutely. I feel so out of practice. This is going to be so fun. I know. It's it's one of those things where you finally get in person with someone, you almost feel like you forget how to speak exactly. to someone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So as, as flattered as I am that you showed up. I'm also thinking that the reason why you're here is to, to visit your five foot tall flubber poster that that is in your parents' basement. <laughs> oh no, you found out about that. <laughs> yeah. hey, that was my sister. So I will, uh, I'll refer that to her, but yeah. yeah, it is a beautiful presence in my basement. Sat right beside my room for many years. I hear it's uh it's like the door to your hockey equipment. That's is, right. Yeah, that's right. It is. And I think it was signed by a bunch of the, the rough rider cheerleaders. Oh, my, really? si- my sister was a rough rider cheerleader for many years. Yeah. So they signed it and it was, uh, yeah, an important piece of memorabilia yeah. for sure. The flubber poster. Anytime you're getting getting psyched for a hockey game, you look at Robin Williams and, and you're inspired. What a legend, right? And totally. What a legend. So let's jump in with a really quick introduction. So tell me, who is Zach Alinek? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Yeah, so I'm Zach Alinek. I'm a 29-year-old third-year medical student at the University of Saskatchewan. I was born in Yorkton. Mm-hmm. Uh, small town, and I understand you're from Lemberg. Is I, uh, that right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So you have some route, some roots deep 
been in Saskatchewan yeah. for we sure. We used to um, go to Boston Pizza and Yorkton for like a night out when we just got our license. So nice. yeah, very familiar. So you grew up quite a bit there then. Yes, nice. yes, yeah. Love Boston Pizza. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was out of Yorkton early. My, my parents moved to Regina when I was two, raised in Regina. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Balfour Collegiate, University of Regina, finished a, an education degree there. Took a quick quick diversion from the education program. Did a, a little stint on Big Brother Canada season three. Uh, which is always a funny talking point for sure. Um, Came back, finished my ed degree, taught a little bit at Campbell in my internship, and then I worked for a medical device sales company Mm. and found my way into medicine somehow. So I did three years of medicine and now I got one year left. How do you do that pivot from education to a medical sales company? It's a Life throws some weird directions at us for sure, but just through people that I knew and some connections with some previous doctors, I got connected to a sales rep out of Calgary and he oh. said, Hey, you want to come out and sell this stuff to, to sports medicine physicians. And it was a cool opportunity at the time. And I'm, as you know, somebody just jumps on opportunities right. when, when they they're thrown at me. So I, I tried it out, got exposure to the medical field and things kind of took off from there. Oh, awesome. So paint me a bit of a picture of what life was like growing up in Regina, how your high school experience at Belfort Collegiate shaped the beginning, a few chapters of your life. I, I don't think I had a really that different of a up, upbringing. I played sports. I, I went to school. I tried hard in school. I did everything I really could to just engage with my community and have mm-hmm. fun. And, and Belfort Collegiate, I played a ton of football there. And that really started me going to the University of Regina. My parents always pushed education on me. They said, no matter what sports you pursue, try to back it up with education. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was one of the best things that best advices I ever got was to just back up with education. So when right. it came to picking between hockey and football, the Rams was a great option because I could work on a degree. Yeah. And so for me, I went to the U of R and had a really awesome opportunity to play for the Rams. They were super grateful for that working under Frank McChrystal and just a pretty legendary program. Right. Uh, so that that's kind of what kicked it off. And, yeah. I, and I went there and just just played football and, and was a part of that team for four years. Mm-hmm. So what's that like to be a student athlete when you're balancing your studies as well as like a hectic training schedule and games and things like that? Like, what is that like to, to, to balance that all out? Yeah, it's, it's a unique challenge, but I think it really ingrains some good skills and, and characteristics in you that you'll carry forward for the rest of your life. That was mm-hmm. one thing that they, they really preached because when you come in as an athlete, and this is for a lot of young athletes, we have this mindset that we're going to be a pro. We're yeah. going to go to the NHL or we're going to go to the CFL. And there's nothing, there's, you can't view anything else in life. And this right. is, this is, you know, similar to many people that have huge passions in life mm-hmm. is that that's all you can think and focus on. Right. So for me, education was a strong component, but while I was playing football, it was so hard to focus on my education and really know what it was going to potentially manifest as. Yeah. And it was an education degree, but I honestly didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. I, I played football so hard and I just did my classes as a, almost like a side project. Right. And it wasn't until I went into a little bit of the identity crisis at the end of football, mm-hmm. which was saying, now what are you going to do? Now who are you? Right. right. Because as I got into my third or fourth year with the Rams, I was starting to have a ton of injuries, mm. knees, shoulders, surgeries, surgeries. And it was one of these things where all of a sudden everything that I knew, which was being an athlete, mm-hmm. this culture of just being a very competitive athlete started to crumble down. And you, and you kind of look at yourself and you say, I'm 20 years old. What am I going to be for the rest of my life? This is all I've ever known. All right. So I think that was a, that was a, an interesting, challenging component was when I started to get so many injuries and say, Oh, I need to really look into education. I mm-hmm. need to look into my identity as who I am. Right. Because this thing that has defined me for so long is is potentially no longer. Yeah. Because I started to realize 
I'm not going to play football for another 10 or 20 years. I, I maybe have a year or two left in my body and mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. I was looking at your, your Rams profile and it said that it was like red shirt season, um, with missed with a lower body injury. And then the next year was like missed second consecutive year with a lower body injury. Everything that you're like training with that community you're building with your, with your friends and your teammates, like it's not, it's like you can't um, fully activate on your identity and, and want to support your teammates through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that it, it's a concept that applies to so many people is just eras of your life ending, mm -hmm. whether it's a job or it's a, an extracurricular pursuit. And it's that transition to a new pursuit, which is a very challenging thing, but we were, it was ingrained in us as we trained there that football is a means to an end. Right. So all the skills and things you develop, you're going to apply them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky to have a good support crew around me that was like, Go find something else. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I had I had two years in a row where I was redshirted. I kept trying to come back. I would get a surgery. I would come back three or four weeks later, trying to run on the field. Knee was popping, <sighs> getting swollen up, just all these different injuries. And you have this mindset and it's just that you, all you want to do is play football and you work so hard at it. And it's every, it means everything to you, but you just, you cannot get mm -hmm. it. It's, it's failure, right? It's failure in some ways. And that's a difficult thing as a person to accept. Mm -hmm. And you're also doing all of like what you're being asked to do. Like you're rehabbing it, you're getting the surgeries, you're taking care of yourself. And so it must be so frustrating to be like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why isn't this working? Yeah, absolutely. It was one of these, you know, for, for many years, I went to bed at night just dreaming of being a rider, just oh, yeah. watching Claremont and all these, these football players catch yeah. touchdowns and the rider nation. I just always dreamed of that. And mm -hmm. to have that realization, just be like, you're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, was very difficult. And it's something that I always try to talk to athletes about in any field that I work in or, or anybody really is just that feeling of transitioning that identity crisis feeling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people experience it in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's, it's a very important thing to work with people is transitioning out of those identity crises and finding a new thing that you want to define yourself as. Totally. So let's talk about the pivot and let's talk about what I think the bulk of this interview will be. And that is Big Brother Canada. So before we jump far, too far into it, um, let's give everybody a quick background on how Big Brother works. I'm just going to quote their Wikipedia page so anybody at home can um, get a quick summary of what Big Brother is. So the series follows a group of contestants referred to house guests living in a custom built home under constant video surveillance. The house guests have no communication with the outside world while in the house with no access to luxuries such as internet and phones. Each week, the house guests compete in competitions for power and safety before voting each other out of the house. The last house guest remaining wins a grand prize of $100,000, as well as an additional prize from show sponsors, which Big Brother Canada is known for ramming down our throats. Uh, so um, did I miss anything on there? Does that pretty much sum it up? That sums it up. So let's start at the beginning of this process. How does the process to get on a reality TV show even begin? And tell me what that casting process is like. It is a, a very crazy social experiment to yeah. say the least. This whole show is a crazy social experiment. I always describe it as just essentially Survivor. Everyone knows what Survivor is for some reason. It's such right. a popular show. I just say it's Survivor in a house, yeah. essentially. <laughs> um, but the casting process is anybody can apply, whether it's virtual, you send in a video of yourself or casting agents go city to city. Mm. And I had always seen the, I, I loved Big Brother. I watched so many of the American seasons during my surgeries while I was rehabbing. Oh, really? I just binge watched so many seasons. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. And my auntie was always a huge fan of the show. She's like, oh, oh, you gotta go on it. You gotta go on the Big Brother Canada. And the season one and two went on, were on and they were great. I loved them. Yeah. And I just never really, I was so focused on football, right? I didn't wanna you know, break break that up. But season three was coming around. I was in the struggles of, 
of sports. I knew that I was not going to be a professional athlete. Mm. My, my career was winding down and I saw that they posted a casting in Regina and I was like, I'm going to go check this out. Yeah. And so sure enough, I drive to the Brandt Center. There's a huge line around the building and I just drive away. I'm like, I'm not doing this. There's no way I'm doing this. I'm so nervous. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Because a lot of people that go on reality TV shows, this is a pretty common stereotype, is that you want to be in media. You right. want to be a, a movie star. You want to get exposure. But for me, I just loved the game of Big Brother. I mm -hmm. thought it was so, so cool. Um, and I thought it would just be a very fun experience but I didn't have aspirations to go into media. Mm. So it was funny, I drove away. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I see all these people <laughs> waiting outside. And I'm like, I, I drive around the building and I'm like, oh my God, I drove all the way here, let's just do it. So mm. I go, I wait in line. It's like three or four hours, I'm in the back of this line, standing by myself. You get in front of a casting producer and it's like, you have 30 seconds. You're with a group of five people oh my God. and it's they just go, Zach, Mason, and you just like, give me something. That's all they say. And if you talk for five seconds, you're boring, they'll just turn to the next person. Ooh. So they turned to me and I, I never really, people always talk about doing stuff in casting that isn't yourself. Yeah. Like just do whatever you can to get on, say yeah. something controversial, whatever. I, I honestly didn't. I just was like, Hey, I, like I'm, I'm an athlete. I I'm doing this. I'm trying to do school, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I didn't really work anything up. Um, but somehow the casting producer must've thought I, I had something. I don't yeah. know why, uh, I'm driving away from the brand center and I get a call from the casting company and they're like, Hey, do you want to come back tomorrow to the hotel Saskatchewan? And you're going to do an on-camera interview with one of our executives. So I'm like, wow. okay. So I'm kind of like, oh no, like, it, it, <laughs> it's is happening. This happening? <laughs> yeah. So I go the next day, I go up to this like fifth floor of the hotel. I go into the hotel. There's a bunch of cameras set up in this room. It, it looks like a, I don't know, it's something creepy is going on yeah. in there, but I sit down <laughs> on this chair and these executive producers are just grilling me on various questions and viewpoints. And I'm just working it up. I know exactly what they're trying to play me as. It's the jock, yeah. whatever. They had not ever cast anybody from Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. So I was really working that up as well. Like I want to represent Saskatchewan, which I did. That was mm -hmm. a huge component of it as well. It's just representing Saskatchewan. I love this province so much. I've always wanted to stay here. I love the people. And I just wanted to represent the province. So they're grilling me pretty hard on things and I'm just having fun with it. Honestly. So like what's an example of a question that they would be asking? So, Anything like they would just say, what, what kind of strategy do you want to do? How do you like the game? Are you willing to step on people's throats? Do you like, are you mm -hmm. interested in girls? Are you single? Are right. you, um, just all just trying to feel out your personality. Like what's so, your voting record? Like all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Just, just weird things. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of got a hold of that and I was working up my personality at that point. Cause I mm -hmm. knew they wanted something exciting. So I was saying, Oh, I'm not afraid to step on people's throats. I'll cut people. I'll stab mm -hmm. them in the back, which I'll tell you later is very difficult to do in the game. Oh, I bet. It's so much harder than you think. Totally. So I was like, Oh, I don't care. I just want to go in there and win. And I started to play up this, you know, character that was going to just go in there and destroy competitions. And yeah, I was just trying to be exciting. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't anything too controversial. And by no means though, I think I, I really like manipulated my, my personality mm -hmm. away from my authentic self, other than just trying to be a little bit bigger on camera. Right. Totally. So that ends and I'm sent home and they say, you will get a call maybe about coming to Toronto in a couple months as our finalist, we call 50 people. Oh. So they said, basically there's like so many thousand people that apply, then they do that on camera and then they'll do 50 people in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, about a couple three or four months before the show, yeah. you sign all these contracts of confidentiality. So this was very difficult for me because I'm going back to school. I'm training for the Rams. I'm trying to come back and play again. And we have a new coach that comes in for the Rams oh. and he's a, he's a very hard school old mentality, yep. like wants you to be there focused. And in my head, I'm training, I'm injured. I'm 
potentially going on this reality TV show <laughs> and I don't even know how to go about this. Yeah, so what I'm, a conundrum that is. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm trying to do my education classes. Right. So it's just a weird, weird part of my life where I'm in this casting component and they call me, Hey, you're coming to in January. You're coming for the final 50. Mm. So I'm like, okay. And they're like, don't tell anyone. This is super confidential. They're making me sign all these. I'm so nervous. And because I, I'm just like, am I going on this TV show? Like totally everything's going through my head. I'm trying to figure things out and I'm flying out. And our coach for the Rams has this huge training thing set up on the weekend that we fly oh. out. So this is a kind of a funny story. So I go to him, I meet him in his office and I say, Hey, I have to go to Yorkton. <laughs> This weekend. Gotta, gotta, gotta go to Boston Pizza. Yeah, I gotta go <laughs> see the grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go to Lemberg. Yeah, exactly. And so I make up this fib because I'm flying to Toronto for this casting for Big Brother Canada, who this old school football coach has no idea. Like, he, totally. He would never understand this in any ways. Yeah. I end up going to the airport to fly out. I get into the airport. I'm sitting in the waiting room and I look across and it's my head coach. Oh, no. Oh, sitting no. there. Oh, no. And he's like, thought you were going to Yorkton. Oh. <gasps> I, my heart sank through my body because honestly, Mason, I, I try to be a pretty authentic and uh -huh. character. I don't like lying to people, yeah. but this one was just a weird situation. I didn't know how to explain to him that I was in casting for yeah. my brother. I'd signed all these contracts, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to break them. Yeah. So I just said, I'm potentially going to be brother Canada. And he was just <laughs> like, what? He didn't even comprehend it. I'm trying to pour my heart out to this guy. And he's just looking at me like, you're done. Yeah, you're exactly. You're so done with me. Yeah. So he pretty much says, if you go, you may not have a spot on the team. And I'm kind of like, I'm too deep in this. I'm flying to Toronto, so right. I'm doing this. But anyways, my heart is, I'm just conflicted this whole time. Because totally. I'm like, my football's done. I think I'm done now. This coach wants to be dead. Yeah. Uh, not actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So... Broke the rapport with him, went out to Toronto, and it was a full week of media. They bring you in different rooms with with producers. The They have a casting com company out of LA that, mm -hmm. that does all the casting. Mm -hmm. And after I left that week, I, I felt like I was on the show. They just really, we just had a lot of fun with the casting producers. Right. A bunch of the top executives from Global were, were big football fans. So they were like, yeah, they were loving it. Yeah. They were talking to me about all the different sports and stuff. And it was just a really fun experience to get out there and just, I don't know. I'd never been outside of Saskatchewan that much. Yeah. So to get into Toronto and just feel the different culture of that, mm. it was a cool experience. And I was just, I was drawn to it. So right. I said, this is something I want to do. It'll, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And I told them, I said, if I'm on the show, I would like to know pretty soon. But their their policy is that they try to keep it hidden yeah. for so long. So they said, we will let you know potentially like two or three weeks before the show, which is in March. Yeah. And I'm in January and I'm like, I need to know because I have, like I'm potentially kicked off my football team and yeah. all this stuff. Well, you so, think about that too. Like there are people that have to quit their jobs. Like yes. how does that, yes. how does that work? You kind of have to make like a split second decision and you could be kicked off the show in the first week and you've just sacrificed your entire life for the opportunity to do it. That is absolutely correct. So many people kill themselves to get on reality TV shows. And I, I, I warn people against that because although it was an amazing experience, it's not all it's cracked up to be in terms of life changing right. things. You still have to go back to your life at the end of the day. But mm -hmm. I did see a lot of people quit their jobs and, and sacrifice a lot. So mm -hmm. um, anyways, a couple of weeks are going by and I'm very nervous. I get the call. Mm -hmm. They say, you're a house guest. You're, you're on the show. 
quit your, quit dropping a school or whatever you got to do. Just <laughs> quit everything. We're going to fly out and we're going to fly you to Toronto and we're going to start, we're going to sequester you and we're going to start the show. Yeah. So do you, are you allowed to tell your friends, your family, like where you're no. going? What do you do? No. So I drop out of school. I'm, I'm in my parents' basement for two months. Staring at the flubber. S- literally poster, staring poster. at the flubber yeah. poster. Yeah. <laughs> Mason, I'm so stressed out. I cannot put on weight. I can't do anything because mm. I'm just so chronically stressed. Right. And I think I was stressed because they had they had said, if anyone finds out or it gets into the media, you, you're, you're, you're done. off. Yeah. And a week before I flew out to Toronto, it started getting out in Regina. Oh, really? Yeah. Because this coach, <laughs> this coach had told various people that, I was kind of up to some stuff and yeah. that's why I was no longer around the team. And it was very unfortunate. And I was so scared. I was like, Oh my God, it's going to get out. But sure enough, it didn't. They, they come down, they film the bio, you know, those where they mm-hmm. give you the key. You're a house guest. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. They, throw, they like a montage of you throwing like, like footballs on like the Regina Rams field and stuff like that. Yeah. The practice field. Which is hilarious. Cause I'm not on the team and I, <laughs> and and I have to sneak equipment out yeah. to do this like bio shoot for, right. I'm a Rams football player, but I'm kind of like pseudo kicked off the team at yeah. this point. <laughs> <laughs> so they want to like bill you as this Regina Rams football player. And you're like, Ugh. yeah, you guys potentially got me kicked off. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually not a Rams player anymore. I think yeah. I remember, did you film it at like the film, the field house? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it wasn't even on Regina Rams field. No, I couldn't. I like the team would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I literally snuck equipment out and had two of my friends come and catch footballs right. for the bio shoot, which yeah. was hilarious. So what came next? So like, it doesn't get out. It's time to fly. You're packing for, I don't know if this is going to be like a, a two week thing or this is going to be like three months. Like what? No wonder you're so stressed out. Like you have no idea what your, your plan of attack is. What comes next? Exactly. You have no idea what's going on. They fly you out and they sequester you. This is something that's always interesting when I tell people about Big Brother is that you're disconnected from the real world, but you're also sequestered for weeks before the show, mm-hmm. like two, three weeks in yeah. a hotel room no phone, no TV, can't leave the room. Mm -hmm. They bring you meals. So I was in a hotel room for two plus weeks by myself. Just, I I was watching the planes land at the Toronto airport, just just weirdly watching out the window, trying to find something to do. They do that so they can announce the cast, build buzz for the show, do media interviews, all that sort of stuff. So it makes sense because they don't want you to see who you're in the game with and stuff like that. But Damn, that isolation, pre-isolation before the full isolation kicks off must just be so daunting. That's right. They they sequester you. And I think one of the other ideas is that they want you to get a little bit disconnected from the real world so mm-hmm. that you go in there and you're just kind of loose and having fun and, yeah. you know, maybe doing some things that you wouldn't normally do. I don't know. They, they, they want to make sure that you have fun and mm-hmm. that you're exciting, but they also don't want you to be overstressed by the real world. So that, that disconnection component, I think from a reality TV standpoint is a very important production oh, yeah. casting component is sequester these people support them, but let's get some good juice out of them. So the show is entertaining, yeah. right? And they're, they're priming your mind with yes. the isolation so that they can, as bad as it sounds, manipulate you a lot easier. Stress you out exactly. so much. So you do some crazy stuff. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the cast gets announced and you become a celebrity overnight while being sequestered and isolated from the world. What's it like knowing that you are being an instant celebrity, but you are staring at planes outside of the windows and you have no idea or control over it. So this is a, always a funny talking point too, because celebrity, I, I would say celebrity is like your last guest, Kim Coates, yep. you know, huge list of LA videos yeah. and, and movies and stuff. That's a real celebrity to me. Yeah, I People always 
kind of mention that. I'm like, I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a, a random guy who had some fun on the reality TV show. I'm right. not a celebrity. But it is funny because people always say it and I'm just like, no, there's no way I'm a <laughs> yeah. celebrity. <laughs> yeah. So I apologize to the folks. I don't really stand up to Kim Coates and in, in that resume. Stop, there. Zach. You're <laughs> being way too humble. No, Answer no, the no. question. So, okay, okay. So the question was, how do I perceive it? Um, I, d- I don't really. You're so sequestered. You don't understand what's going on. You don't yeah. understand the magnitude. That's the other thing. You're in the show. Basically, the way the show works is when you're on the show, they're cutting up the episodes and playing them like pretty much the next day. Yeah on global mm-hmm. you don't even know like you kind of understand that it's being played on tv mm-hmm. but you don't really understand the perception of what you're becoming or in any way that you're becoming well known yeah. I, I really wasn't able to perceive that at all until mm-hmm. i came out it makes sense right because they're isolating you yes your reality is no media like nothing going on so it's like your mind shifts to a point where you you forget that like entertainment tonight canada and and websites and social media is even a thing for sure you're so isolated and all of this media is going on everyone's engaging in the show they're all having a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. and you can't see it at all until you get out so yeah that that perception doesn't really manifest at all during the show you're right. just you're just on the show totally having fun with the house guests yeah, yeah. so it's time to go they, they come and get you from your hotel room like it's time to get on stage it's time to to do this like what's going through your mind as you're standing on stage Arissa says you you can go in the house the door opens and you're taking your fir- first steps into the house like what is going through your mind do not get voted out first <laughs> yeah I because I've seen American seasons where they'll kick a, a house guest out the first day yeah Jody yes yes and I was like if I do all of this and I'm walking out of this door tonight oh god I <sighs> It would just be so devastating. My yeah. my only worry was just like stick around, just mm-hmm. try to stick around and be a part of the show. That was all I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Like winning was gr- sure, but I knew it was just such a random kind of game. Yeah, and I was like, just stick around and have fun and be a part of the show. So, yeah. um, it's funny. My my sister and my parents were laughing because the whole first episode, I have my hands behind my back like this, <laughs> like I'm locking my hands like yeah. this because I'm so nervous. Oh and right, it's, I'm just walking around the house mm-hmm. with my hands behind my back. It was the weirdest looking thing ever, <laughs> and we laughed about it so hard after on the show. We're like, what am I doing? But I think I was just so blown away in the house mm-hmm. because basically they build an amazing house mm-hmm. inside a huge studio and there's you and the 16 house guests mm-hmm. there's a ton of mirrors yeah because there's all these cameramen behind, behind the it. mirrors yeah. and there's like hundreds of production people all around the house moving around all at once filming 24 7. can it's you the, hear it a little bit yeah, yeah you can hear them moving around and you can hear like banging and stuff like that but you only see the 16 house guests mm-hmm. like whenever there's camera people they're they're behind the mirrors or they're tuning in through the microphones and saying, Hey, they'll, they'll tell, give you directions. Like, Hey, we're doing the POV competition, come down to the main yeah. foyer or whatever. But you never, so the idea is that you do not see another person mm-hmm. other than these 16 house guests for the whole 90 days or whatever. You're so in what's the as. diary room? Like, is it just you talking to a, like a camera with like exactly. a microphone? Really? Yes. It's, it's a camera and a, a microphone. Yeah. That's it. And a big chair. So they basically ask you a question and they say, okay, well now burn the lens, look at the camera and tell me the answer to the question. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. And they'll feed you just tons and tons of questions. You'll be in there for an hour or two. So yeah. they want to get a lot of information from you, but they don't want to lead you on to the storylines they're building. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll plot a lot of fake questions in there. Oh, really? Just to kind of get you to not really know, like, yeah. oh, okay, we're building up this story that Sarah's voting you out this week. Right. What are your thoughts on Sarah? Or, yeah. hey, you guys talked in the diary ro- or in the storage room and it was a little bit intense. What, what was going on there? Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, are they building a story on this? But then they'll ask you five other distractor questions. Yeah that you're you have to kind of sift through but you can get an idea for what's going on on the storylines a little bit totally so 
How do you adjust to this new world where your basic human needs like access to food, when and where you can sleep, no privacy, warm showers are all being manipulated for entertainment. And all the while, your new roommates who you've never met before are all plotting your demise. Yeah. You're maxed out on adrenaline to the point of absolute chronic fatigue. Mm. So you, your mind is still awake and alive, but but internally you're just dying mm -hmm. because you it's essentially like that nervousness you get for an appointment or an interview times 70 days chronically. Oh, like God. honestly, I my level of cortisol was just jacked the whole time. Yeah. And it is so stressing. I it's tough to look back now and appreciate how stressed I was. Mm -hmm. But you put on this great face that you're having fun. And I was having a lot of fun, but I was just so stressed. Mm -hmm. I was so, so, so maxed out stressed about everything, about getting kicked off, about mm -hmm. interpretations, just all these, like watching everything that you say. Yes. And because the live feeds are on all the time and we're, we're human beings. Mm -hmm. We make mistakes. We say things that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And for me, I never wanted to cross that boundary of being somebody who is disrespectful or malicious or you know, just to be misperceived. I think that that was my biggest fear in the house was to potentially say something that could wreck my life. Oh, totally. And and when you think about it, they are manipulating you. Like they, there's weeks where you go on slop, where you're not allowed to eat other than this like disgusting food. Like yes. they, they are basically like you are lab rats and they are manipulating variables that control how you manage stress. Absolutely. So that is one very tricky thing that you have to navigate and you have to just, just really rely and try to have confidence in who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that I, I tried to stay grounded on was like, think I'm a good person. I have some pretty good viewpoints. I'm going to try to stick to that and just be myself. Yeah. And that worked out for me. It was never, you know, looking back, there was things that were obviously jokes and stuff like that, but there was nothing that, that was taken out of character. And I was right. very appreciative of that as well as I thought that they did a, a, a good job with my edit. Like there, there was never anything too malicious with the, the yeah. big brother Canada producers. And I think that that, you know, the Americans have a little bit more of diversity in their viewpoints mm -hmm. and you have a pretty crazy, you know, variation of States and ideologies. Yeah. Whereas in Canada, people are very friendly. And that was a problem with our season yeah. was we, when we first came in, they gave us no food, no furniture, nothing for yeah. the first 24 hours or something. Yeah. yeah. And we had to work together. And the producers after said that was the worst thing they, they could have done because yeah. they made us become this cohesive unit. Yeah. And we were all such good friends. Our season was actually kind of bad because we were such a good group <laughs> yeah. and people try to like tease out the the gossip and the, the hate and all this different stuff. But we laughed because 23 hours of the day, we were friends chatting, having right. a great time, just dialoguing about fun stuff, learning new things from one another. Yeah. And then there would be like a little bit of gameplay where we were like, okay, hey, Zach's like, he's winning this company. We got to get him out yeah, or whatever. Totally. Or Brittany's, we got to get Brittany out. She's winning. Yeah. And that would be like all the show focuses on. Yeah. But for the most part, we were a pretty friendly group of people. Yeah. And I think it was like, that's why they had to throw in so many twists that season. <sighs> the because, worst. Yeah, yeah. Because they were like, we need to make TV. <laughs> and when I went onto the show, like one of the biggest executives calls you in for an interview and it's like 30 seconds long. And he just looks at you and says, don't be boring. Oh, that's it. Just good. Don't, just don't be boring. Yeah. So that you can tell their focus. And I get it. Like dance, the, like they want you to dance yeah. monkey. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like go on and have fun, but yeah. don't just sit around and do nothing. Like make some good TV. Yeah. Right. So you're in a little bit of a battle of trying to build up a character, have fun. And I don't think I did necessarily the greatest job of that because 
I, I'm not somebody to be somebody I'm not. Yeah. Like it's tough. Some people are very good at just being like, I'm going to work this camera and I'm going to, Right. I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, she's, this person's good. I don't <laughs> mind them, whatever. Like, you know, just my, a, a Saskatchewan boy, right? Yeah. Yeah. A boring Saskatchewan boy. Right. So, yeah. So a lot of your coping mechanisms are also taken away. So you can't distract yourselves from the stress by talking to your friends, hugging your family, Netflix, sports, your phone, everything. So you're doing this all at 22 years old. Let's, it's not like you are a well-adjusted, like 40 year old man who has had tons of life experience to help pull you through this. You're, you're so young. What's that like? And how did you stay grounded as a 22 year old? Yeah, you're, you're right. It's funny. Cause at the time when you're 22, you think you really have life figured out, right? You're in that young kind of naive state. So looking back, I realized how many different mechanisms I didn't have at that time. And mm. I just kind of swallowed it and suppressed it tried to deal with the stress and just went out there and, and took it on. I think that was one thing sports were led me to be pretty good at was taking criticism, taking pressure and just going out and trying to perform. So looking back, I would be better at now mm-hmm. is just using different coping strategies of the anxiety and the stress, but you just talk to one another in the house. Mm-hmm. That was the only way you could mitigate any of those feelings you had was mm-hmm. just talk. and people broke down so many times, mm-hmm. so many times they were crying and and I was as well, like just, oh my God, my family, I miss them so much. Right. I just want to be out of here. I remember I like day 40 or 50, just sitting outside and just being like, I want the show to end so bad yeah. because I just want to be with my friends and family again. And I just was praying the days could go by, even though at the same time, I'm like, this is the coolest experience of your life. Totally. Just enjoy it. Right. Yeah. It's one of those weird things in life where we have that idea to just want to live in the future. I want to get out. I want to see people. I mm-hmm. want to, but at the same time, this is a great part of your life. Enjoy mm-hmm. it. Take these moments in. And it's, it's that weird, you know, dichotomy of just trying to be in the future, but be in the present. The hard part too, is like, you don't have anybody that you can trust 100%, right? It's not like your sister's there where you can be like, I know you love me unconditionally. I can't just take you aside and be like, this is what I'm going through. And so even if you do say that to somebody, you never know if they could use that against you or anything like that. And what leads to what's funny that everybody um, can complains about big brother being like, Oh, there's bitter jury members. It's like, you see, like you said, like sliced up versions of a show that they want you to see. You don't see the 23 and a half hours where people are just bonding over really extreme circumstances and trauma in some aspects. So it's hard for people to like push that aside. And like you said earlier in the interview, it's hard to backstab somebody that you've, you're going through this sort of stuff with them. For sure. You spend so much time. And I think that that is also in favor of the big brother casting process or just the, the idea of the show is that you have nothing else to do, but bond with these people. Mm-hmm. And they're in a good, in a very cool way. This is something that expanded my perspective so much in life was going out there and interacting with people with multiple different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And that to me, you grow up in Saskatchewan. I love Saskatchewan, but at the same time, you, you're in a little bit of an echo chamber for me growing up with my friends, being in the sporting culture, being yeah. in, being in the university of Regina and not really stepping outside of that network. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I get to Toronto and it's just I'm, right away. I'm really good friends with Sarah. And she was someone who was like kind of posed as my enemy in the show, but we were great friends. Right. She was like this hippie stoner girl from Toronto who mm-hmm. was like bisexual and just had so many cool things going for her. But we are so different as people mm-hmm. never would have been friends with somebody like that growing up just because we didn't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to interact. Right. Alison Godfrey, like this, this really cool, unique character. He was, his family and him were originally from Zimbabwe and Mm -hmm. he just had such a cool perspective on his life and his upbringing and just everything about his, 
you know, way that he viewed life was so cool. So yeah. I'm, I'm interacting with all these people and building common ground and just becoming friends with these people and learning about them and their lifestyle. And then all of a sudden at the same time, the game is going on and it's like, now you got to stab them in the back. You got to yeah. tell them, right? So then all of a sudden you lose trust. So the last 30 days of, of my stay in the show are just me second guessing every conversation I have with someone really? like, is this person real right now? Yeah. Like, um, I did trust the, you know, probably three or four people, but at a certain time I was just like, I'm just getting voted out at any point here and right. I don't care. I, it's just, it's been, I knew at a certain point, probably day 50 or 60 that I had a blast on the show. I'm like, yeah. I know that I've lived the highs of the show and the lows of yeah. being like everyone wanting me out at a certain point, because it was like, if we keep him in, he's going to win the show they were just trying to get me out. Like every yeah. week they were trying to get me out. So I, once I finally left, I was just like, Hey, thanks yeah. for having me. It was a blast. So what's it like having no control over how you're being portrayed? Like, it's so weird. Like from my perspective, like you're watching the live feeds, you're watching me like, yeah, this is a Saskatchewan boy. They're, they're portraying this person, but you don't know how they're portraying you. They could be cutting and splicing whatever you want in order to make you say, seem like a completely different person. Does that weigh on you when you're thinking about how you're being portrayed? For sure. I think that, because well, one of the things that they mention or you learn about is that they can voice over or they can take your clips of what you're saying mm -hmm. and pose them at different times of the show. Yep. So if you go in and you say like, oh, I really want this person out, they can clip that like two weeks later when you're walking away from somebody yeah. and just be like, I want this person out. It's <laughs> like, you didn't say that at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So they could definitely manipulate however they want. Mm -hmm. I tried to ignore that and just suppress it and just at the end of the day, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I know what I say and I can control that. And mm -hmm. that's all I can control. It's a huge thing that we struggle with. And I struggle with a lot in life is worrying and perseverating on the things that you cannot control. Good word. Great word. So fans always criticize reality game shows for being rigged or scripted. Set the record straight. How much of your role is influenced by production? And did you know what your role was going to be heading into the game? I, people, people do ask this. This is a very common question. And I, I always felt like it was rigged mm -hmm. before I went on the show. After coming off, I really don't think it's manipulated that much mm -hmm. in terms of the actual fairness of the show because, yeah, you can get a feel for who's maybe popular or winning or they want voted out, but for the most part, production doesn't directly step in and say, vote this person out. Right. You do, every person controls their vote. The competitions I was always a little bit skeptical of mm -hmm. because it would be coming up on one where maybe they needed sarah to win mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it was this just the competition that favored her a totally, little bit more yeah. than like a a big running one or jumping right. over hurdles or something that maybe would have benefited yeah. me so i like to put that in my head to be like oh they, they got of screwed me on that yeah. but for the most part it was pretty fair and rightfully so they have a they should be able to affect and put in twists because they need entertainment mm -hmm. at the end of the day the show isn't about running the most ethical show it's mm -hmm. about running an entertaining tv show in a canadian market where canadian tv can get canceled at any point right totally. yep. like we've seen canadian shows like Kane, canadian idol and all these different yep. shows they get like two or three seasons and the big brother producers were very straight up about that they're like we get like we can get canceled after any season, just totally. because it's such a volatile market. It's yeah. not the Canadian, it's not the American TV market. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you did well. You placed sixth out of 16. You lasted 63 days in just like a really surreal environment that people don't get enough credit on if they're, if they're on that show. And you were one of the main characters and plot lines of the season. So in, in contrast to what you felt like when you walked into the house, how did you feel taking those steps out of it? Yeah. Coming out of the house was interesting. I saw my family and friends right away and I was trying to interpret and just manage all of the attention. There was mm -hmm. a lot of attention coming at me, a lot of different media outlets from Saskatchewan and just all the big brother attention. 
you don't really know what's going on. Like you, you have no idea that people know you. Mm -hmm. And we initially went to a bunch of fan things right after, and there was people asking us for photos and I was trying to engage with conversation just in a, in a real friendly way, but it was weird people coming up to me that I had never met. And they were like, Zach, and they would say my name, they would know me and they expect you in a lot of ways to just know that they know you yeah. just like you're, you know, you have to do that. And that was such a insane experience mm -hmm. like to just go out in the world and have that attention like the fi the 15 minutes of fame they yeah. say with reality tv is is the most weird bizarre thing that you can ever experience because you're trying to navigate life like any person mm -hmm. your psychology everybody's psychology is vulnerable mm -hmm. to the experiences you have in life yeah. and your psychology is battling yeah. you're, you're really battling to, to figure things out quickly and to perceive all of this, the, the things that come with it. Right. And I think that was, that was for me, I was really lucky to have such a cool support group to be able to come back to Saskatchewan and just get back to my normal life. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people in reality TV, it is so, so challenging. Totally. Like I remember it, it was a rider game, like right after, and you guys were there and you had like Ashley, Johnny, Pilar, Kevin there. Yes. And then walk, watching people go up to you guys, take a photo and you could just tell you're just like, what do I do? Like, why did I deserve this? Yes. Like what, what is going on here? Yes. That's exactly the feeling because you always perceive celebrities or, or whatever you say with like somebody who has high status as somebody, you, you kind of put this God complex around them like yeah. they're, but, but really when you're, when you're there, you're, everybody is just a normal person with flaws, just like everybody else. Yeah. And you probably get attention and treatment that you, that you don't necessarily deserve. Like I, I kind of look back at it and think like, I didn't do anything more unique than somebody else could have done. Mm -hmm. So to be treated like this feels weird. And, mm -hmm. and it's one thing that has helped me in a lot of ways, moving through different aspects of my life now is that feeling of getting whatever you would call it, like achieving status and then kind of that status falling. Mm. So as we navigate through life, we maybe have moments where we get a good job and all of a sudden we have a little bit of power. And how do you handle that power? How do you interact with people when you're kind of on a high of your life? Mm -hmm. But then how do you interact and feel when maybe you, you, you don't get hired back at a certain job or your, your status falls a little bit, you're, you're not really as, as much of a social person in the city anymore or something. And I think in a lot of ways, as I, as I go through life, I, I really appreciate that feeling of kind of being up and then mm -hmm. down, right? Because after Big Brother, you have a, an amazing year after. Everyone knows you, it's so much fun. You're going out, you're doing all these tours. Yeah. The show kind of flies you around to different cities. You're you're their ex-house guest. Well, then all of a sudden the next season plays and you're gone. You're gone. Yeah. You are gone. Yeah. No one cares about you anymore. Right. I mean, there's a couple of people that are like, hey, that was cool you did that. Yeah. But for me, it was like, I, I so badly wanted to continually find and, and refine my identity so I wasn't just the guy who was on Big Brother, totally, you know, so that was a that was a big, big, big part of the show, and it's something so many people that go on reality TV struggle with mm -hmm. is navigating that that quote unquote fame for fifteen minutes, yeah. and then getting back to real life and and being a being whatever you would say is a normal person, which is somebody who isn't recognized as right away and mm -hmm. isn't given treatment for just doing a show or something. Like right, that. like, and they would, they, they intentionally like strip you of your identity because they want to mold you into what Big Brother wants you in that show. And then when you're done with it, it's almost like, well, that's everything that I know at the moment. Like, where am I supposed to pivot into? Right, and for a lot of people, they think that all a ton of media opportunities are gonna open up after Big Brother, mm -hmm. which is not true. There's very, very few. So the opportunities that, that I got in the media was like, 
selling different proteins and teeth whitening kits on Instagram. <laughs> that was that was the big media opportunities that right. presented themselves to me, yeah. which I would never wanted to engage with. Right. And I also was never somebody who could like post on Instagram and be like, hey, you guys. Like I wasn't like, a, yeah. hey, my fans. Just popping up on here. Hey, guys, yeah. how's everyone doing? Come on out. So for yeah. me, I, I had a real difficult time treating people that I knew as quote unquote fans. Right. Even though they'd be like, oh, I'm a fan of the show or whatever. I was just, I, I didn't like that. Like yeah. I couldn't engage with that. And I, I think it's just part of the Saskatchewan mm-hmm. like humility because you you walk around Saskatchewan and you'll see a millionaire having a conversation with somebody who's just a, a, like a carpenter and an accountant all together and yeah. a doctor and a lawyer. Like it's not as elitist as other cities and Toronto and Vancouver and these cities I went to was kind of all about that culture of, you know, your social status and all that. Right. And, and, and I struggled with that. I, I couldn't play a part in it. I didn't, I didn't really like it. So I was happy to get back to Saskatchewan and I was like, I was doing concrete and working pools like, <laughs> like two, two weeks after really? the show. And I would go to people's like pools. I'd be cleaning their pool and they'd yeah. come out and like take a photo. Right. They'd yeah. be like, what are you doing? Like, and I'm right. like, I'm just, I'm doing my <laughs> summer job and I have, I have an education degree to finish. Right. So I, that was the funniest thing was just like doing concrete two weeks after the show in Saskatchewan. Like they expect you to like come back to this like mansion, almost like the hunger games. Like you win the hunger games, you come back, they set you up in the yeah. capital and things like that. No. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm actually still just a broke uh, student <laughs> yeah. who, who doesn't know who he is. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So question about the mental health aspect around um, Big Brother. So once you're done, do you have to like rewire your brain a little bit? Because yes. And does the paranoia like transfer through? Like if somebody, your mom calls you and says, hey, what do you want for supper? You're like, why does she want to know? Does she want to like, do you have, do you have paranoia that that lasts with you? (laughs) So for about a month, I felt like there was cameras still on me while I was sleeping. Mm. That was one weird thing of like kind of rewiring, getting back to real life. The fame is coming at you or whatever you call it. The attention is coming at you. There is some, some navigation back to real life that can take for people years. Mm -hmm. I've met house guests that have been on the show and were struggling Mm -hmm. for many years, just getting back into, um, their real life. But yeah, I, I think that was one weird thing was just being off camera and just being like, Oh my God, finally I can just lay here by and, myself and yeah. just hang out and not worry about things. Yeah. So yeah, that was one thing for sure. That was a bit of a battle. Totally. Like you can sc- like scratch your button piece. Not yeah. I think people like taking screenshots or exactly. Like <laughs> um, so what's it like coming out and people have like a perception of you that may not be how you perceive yourself. Like for instance, like you were branded as like captain Canada and like, like you were talking about like crest white strips and things like that, like you were advertising for after. What's that like to, to have to do a media circuit after your entire brain is kind of all over the place and you are answering questions for what people perceive of you that you may not perceive about yourself? Yeah, I think you're still trying to comprehend it. Like you, you don't really know how people perceive you. It's, mm-hmm. It was similar to anything in life where you, you think of yourself as one thing, other people think of you as one thing. And mm-hmm. then there's also how you think they think of you. It's kind of like uh, three things all working at it yep. of different perceptions. And you can get into a bit of that identity crisis where it's like, okay, some people probably thought I was a meathead jock. Right. So does everyone think I'm a meathead jock? Right. Some people probably thought I was like funny and cool and whatever. So you, you're at this like just mix of all these different factors coming at you and people coming up to you and saying things. And you're, you're trying to pick up on, on a lot of weird things that people say to you about the, what they thought of the show. And you're like, well, did you think I was like 
did you think I thought this right. or, or something? Right. Yeah. So I think that that was tricky for me as well. Cause I didn't actually watch the show. Like you didn't watch your show. I didn't watch the show. Really? Yeah. Because I, I came off of it and I had just lived so much of the show. Yeah. Like it was like 24 seven, big brother. I, I knew exactly everything that happened. Yeah. And so many clips were being thrown at me on, on social media yeah. that I essentially watched the show by not watching like the actual show. Right. So you have not seen your season. To this day, since? I have not really? seen my season. Yes. Is that strange? Like I, I guess, but I, I've talked to many house guests after, like I talked to Emmett right away when I got off the show and he's yeah. like, I've never watched the season. Really? Yeah. He's like, I, I just couldn't watch it because I, I just was, I was so in, involved in big brother. I just couldn't sit down and do it. And I'm one of those people that when you do an, when I do an interview or I do something, I don't watch it. Yeah. So you're not going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to definitely listen to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So let's talk life after the show. So after reality shows, we talked about it. People get into media after you see a lot of stars try to stick around the spotlight, hanging around that reality TV community and make a living through real or related careers. But did you consider when this was done, do I extend this or were you like, get me back to Saskatchewan. I need to, to get back to normal life. Yeah. I wanted to build my, my education. That mm. was important for me. I was very motivated to learn and begin to critically understand society and different things that are going on because I had such a closed mind mm -hmm. before just focusing on school and educate and education, um, in terms of like football. Right. I didn't, I can't, after we brother, I was like, there's so much more going on that I was not really aware of and people and lifestyles and perspectives that I just really wanted to explore that. And I didn't think that it was, it was meant to be in media. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize as I was going out and interacting for the next year that I, I became more introverted. I became less engaged with, with public, um, perception of media. And I just, I, I found myself putting a hat on looking down every really? time I was going out, I didn't want to be seen. It was my friends. I was like not going out in Regina. Even I love Regina. I love all the all my friends here, right. I liked going out, but it was this thing where I just became very, very not negative, but just, I became, it became a little bit redundant going out and being the big brother yeah. person, just having that conversation over and over and over for a year into two years. And just being like, this is defining me to the point where I just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to engage in that conversation. And it became a huge insecurity. Mm. It became a huge insecurity that now I'm, I'm very like, comfortable speaking on. But yeah. at the time it was just like, I just didn't want to do it anymore because it, it was two or three years. And the, the most people, it fades off in a year, but mm -hmm. with Saskatchewan and being such a small community, it mm -hmm. was just so pre prevalent. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, it takes me into a little bit of a funny story. I don't know if you remember, there was like a social media game at the riders. Yes. And you, you, I reached and, out to you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You and you and Amanda ruler yeah. were awesome. You guys did the, the TV stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? So you guys reached out and said, Hey, we're doing this social media game. Come on out. Mm -hmm. We're going to share some stuff on social media. I'm like, okay, sounds good. But I was also like, Oh shoot, I don't want to do um, like media stuff right now. I'm, yeah. I just really, that was a time. Cause it had been two or three years. I'm like, right. I want to be like the big brother guy on TV right now. I'm just trying to do other things. I was trying to work, trying to figure out school, all this stuff. So this is a, so such a funny story. So I'm kind of sitting there um, debating it mm -hmm. and I'm talking to my cousin. He's a huge Ryder fan, Dustin. And yep. I'm saying, hey, the writers want to give us tickets for a social media game. Do you think they're going to make me do some like stuff on the, the screen or something? Yeah. So he's like, oh, I don't know, whatever. Like, just go. I'm <laughs> like, oh, so I message you guys back on Instagram. I'm like, hey, sounds good. I'll see you guys at the game. Yeah. So I, I get a text that night, like two days before the game. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Hey, it's Mason. 
I'm I'm really looking forward to getting you on the big on the jumbotron to get yeah. the wave going in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So we're looking forward to you doing this. And I'm like, and it came from a random number because it's his work phone. Oh so my I thought gosh. it was you. He was playing you. Are you serious? Yes. He said, Hey, it's Mason. I'm like, I don't remember no, saying this. No, no, no. <laughs> so this was my cousin yeah. playing a joke on me. So I sat there just just <laughs> thinking about life. I was like trying to think of every excuse to get out of this. Yeah. And I'm like, and all of a sudden you text me like an hour later. He's like, stop stressing. It's me downstairs. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So then I messaged you like the next day. I don't know if you remember this. I yeah. messaged you and was like, hey, super excited for the game. going to share some stuff on social media. But can you can we keep me off the Jumbotron? Because I was so, <laughs> you're like, yeah, of course. What are you talking yeah. about? Like, I don't know. We have no plans yeah. to be on the Jumbotron. And I'm just like, for some reason, it was so that that's an example of kind of that insecurity of media and attention manifesting years later, just to the point where I was so insecure about it. Yeah. That I was like, I don't even want to go to this game because I'm afraid they're going to put me up and be like, Hey, big brother, yes. big brother Canada three, two years like ago. And I, defining you again after you just tried to get away from yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like stressing out about it. And then obviously it was just a funny joke and, and looking back, we can laugh about it. But, yeah. But yeah, it just kind of speaks to one of those things where you're just kind of battling identity, you're battling insecurities and mm. you're trying to find and navigate ways to move forward in a way that you keep your mental health clean and you yeah. can, keep a, a clear psyche moving forward. It's almost like you're, you're, you're counterbalancing from being so used to being watched that you, you go to the other end of the spectrum. You're like, nobody look at me. Yes. Like, I need to, I need to put myself back together before I want any eyeballs on me. Which is weird, right? Because it's, it's completely the paradoxical reaction that you would think somebody goes on a TV show, they put themselves out there, then they're going to stay in the media and they're mm. going to want that attention. Um, and it just, it just flipped for me. It really did. I yeah. didn't, I didn't want to be engaged in it. And, uh, you know, now it's, I'm in a really good part of my life where I'm confident and secure with that stuff. But yeah. yeah, there was a period of time where it was a battle for sure. So let's talk about the next chapter of your life. And this is a part of your story that I love. So originally you were in education, but now you're currently in med school. So why the switch in rank from Captain Canada to Dr. Canada? Yeah. So it's a it's a weird circuitous route that I took to medi what, medicine. What, what word did you say? Circuitous? <laughs> circuitous. Charcu charcuterie? <laughs> charcuterie board is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. my no, circuitous. So just like a weird roundabout way to life. It just, it was one of those mm. things where I took a non-traditional route to medicine. I got in this medical sales job. I'd always loved medicine. I had always loved helping people and education. That was one of my favorite things was just that feeling of teaching. Mm. I, I love teaching so much. And I found it in medicine was just educating people learning from people that face-to-face -face connection that you can get and you just make an impact on someone's life and they make an impact on your life. To me, that's what education gave me, teaching. I loved it, mm -hmm. but I just had enough exposure to medicine with this medical sales job, interacting with physicians and just kind of saying, there's so many aspects of my life that have all allowed me to somehow build skills to, to do this profession. Mm -hmm. It was like the teaching, the sports, the failure in sports, my science background, I always loved chemistry and I just took those classes just because in, in high, high school and university. Wow. So it was this weird, just kind of thing that all came together that was just like, this is a great way to impact my community, to still be a teacher, to impact people's lives and to, you know, maybe do different cool procedural things that I always thought were cool as well. And I just took a part of my life where I quit my job. I dropped out of kind of, I was doing this bachelor of science degree at that time. And I just said, I'm going to study for four months and try to get into med school. And if this happens, it happens for me. How do you and make that decision? You just jump at it. It was honestly forced upon me because I worked in this job and it was, this, it was in the back of my mind every day. And mm. I was like, if I don't do this or try this, it's going to eat me alive. So it'll be these things. One of the, my regrets later in life will be like, 
I wanted this. Oh, I got and I was too. 26. Yeah. Right. And everybody kind of feels that. But it's also a, a difficult battle of saying, you know, you, you think you have potential in certain avenues in life. And it's like, do I have to maximize that potential to be happy with my life? Or mm. am, can I just be happy with where I am? And I think that I do struggle with that as well to say, okay, just go and enjoy your life. Have fun. You have a great job. Do it. Mm. Teach. But at the same time, I was like, I want to push this a little bit. I want to yeah. maybe do medicine. And that was a difficult thing because medicine is such a difficult route and it's such a hard thing to get into. So I just said, I'm going to quit my job. I dropped my job and I just studied for four months mm -hmm. for the MCAT. And it was a battle, an absolute battle. But for some reason I felt at home doing it because oh, yeah. I was like, it was like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm pursuing something. And I think that I do pursue things with a lot of intensity. So Clearly, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was able to just say, Hey, this is something I really want. You've thought about it every day for the last month. Now is right, right time to do it. So I just put my mind to it. I applied and somehow it worked out for me. You clearly have like a really good intuition because it's like you have, you, it's like you battle with, should I jump or should I not? But it seems like in everything you've done so far, whether it's being an athlete, big brother, med, it's like you, you get that, that voice in the back of your head, be like, go, you should, you should do this. And it takes a little bit to jump, but when you jump, it feels like you're in the right place. Yeah. It's one thing that a lot of people advise you and you hear it kind of over and over is that idea of you would rather try something and fail than not try something and wonder about it for the rest of your like life. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky, yeah. Michael Scott. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Michael Scott. There you go. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the process of becoming a doctor in Saskatchewan, including how you even got into med school and the amount of time that med school takes. Cause you were telling me a little about a little bit about this. You're like, this is not what I've seen on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> yeah. You think that you jump into the profession and all of a sudden you're a doctor in a couple of years, but <laughs> it is for most people, it's a four year degree. And then you apply with the MCAT. Mm -hmm. You do a, a multiple interview, which is called the MMI. Have you heard anything about the MMI? A little bit. Like I've got friends that are like in like physiotherapists yes. and things like that. I know that there's like an interview comp or a part of it. Yes, um, exactly. And that's like the doctor equivalent, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you, you do this 10, these 10 interviews. They're 10 minutes each. You knock, you knock on the door. You get a prompt. It's like, hey, this person is coming into the clinic. They have mm -hmm. these socioeconomic factors. They're wanting a transplant for their liver. They're, they have this addiction. Um, go out and speak to somebody and advocate for them or talk to them about like just all these weird ethical conundrums that right. they want to see how you can think around these critical topics. So that was a huge component of me just trying to learn ethics mm -hmm. and understand just the diverse nature of society that we live in, right? Because yeah. like I said, we have so many, we focus in our circle so much that we don't really navigate all of the different perspectives of society. So that was a huge thing to be like, wow, there is a lot of critical thinking that needs to be done right now. Yeah. It's way more than just being like, My, this person's fibula hurts. What could it be? Like you have to think of like the holistic side yes. and how to advocate for a patient. Yeah, of course. So that was a big component and trying to get into medicine, you learn that you do those interviews and then yeah, you just kind of wait. It's similar to the big brother. You're just waiting there for that call mm -hmm. um, or that email and you get in, you do a four-year degree or a four-year medical degree. You do two years of school in the books, learning medicine. And then right now what I'm doing is two years of internship. So you just work around the different fields, emergency medicine, psychiatry, uh, surgery. You just do six-week blocks and yeah. then you finish your MD. And the next thing is you do residency. So you, now you're a doctor. You get paid a resident wage, which is anywhere from like 50 to 60 or 70 grand a year. Yeah. And you train as a resident, whether it's two years for family med or five years to become a specialist. Mm -hmm. So that's any internal medicine doctor, surgeon. Cardio. Yeah, exactly. Like you do five years. And then now 
what's happening is people are doing fellowships. So you finish your five-year residency, you've done nine years of medical training, you've done 13 years of post-grad, post-high school training, and then you do fellowships, these, these added levels of specialty. So you're a cardiologist, now you want to do like interventional or, or pathophysiological training. So you do that uh, for one or two more years. Mm-hmm. And then people are, if you're a specialist, people are adding on like MD or uh, masters and PhDs. It's just this crazy never ending battle. And it's, it's an exciting journey to be on, but it's overwhelming at times because you get caught up just trying to be that thing at the end. Yeah. Right. As we all do, we all want to be the boss. You want to be the, the, you know, the, the top lawyer at your firm or whatever it is, but yeah. you just get caught up in that chase that, that battle of not enjoying the process, but it's very humbling. It's very humbling to see the people that are working so hard in this province, especially through a pandemic, which has been such a, a cool and interesting time to navigate medicine, Yeah. but to just see the amount of work and see the the qualified people that are working so hard to, to guide these restrictions and guide these vaccines for us. Mm-hmm. I'm just so like honored to even be working under them and just trying to learn and understand. It really makes me realize that there's so much more to learn and, and understand. Tell me, when it comes to the financial cost of med school, because I don't think people know just how much of an investment it is. It's truly an investment when you think about it, because you were telling me it's upwards of sometimes 200,000 to 300,000. And that's, that's even before you were a resident. So that 300,000, that's my mortgage. Debt, debt is overwhelming in medical school. It's something that we, we really underestimate is our financial literacy when we grow, when Mm -hmm. we're young in our twenties, we don't really, and it's something I struggled with as well. So all of a sudden you get this massive line of credit and they're like, hey, go go, go buy a new car, go do something with it. Right. You don't really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So then you, you go through medical school or any other school of professional colleges where they, the banks give you these massive lines of credit and they wanna support you so you can live. Cause you, you need to, tuition is so expensive, mm-hmm. um, but it's still subsidized from the government as well. But you take on 50, 60, $100,000 in tuition debt, but then you also have your living debt, which is just paying rent, food, all of the other things that you need to work on when, as you go through medical school. And most students right now, the average debt is in the, in the hundred to $200,000 of debt when you oh finish. And, and I know, and, and you understand that obviously physicians are, are have a good income and a mm-hmm. good earning potential, but you just think of that, that process of going through residency and fellowships and all these different things to get hired. Your, your 10, 15 years of just continually accumulating debt before you before you're able to earn, pay it yeah. off, right? So yeah, it's something that we just have to continually work on and try to be educated on is ways to spend money and kind of navigate medical school debt for sure. Speaking of opportunities to educate on debt, this is a great chance to shed some light on student loans and what you need to know about them when weighing if they are a good option for you. I called Hannah McGee, who is a financial advisor from Connexus's Sherwood Place branch in Regina and asked her to break down some key information about student loans. Here's what she had to say. Thanks, Mason. Uh, Firstly, it's important to think of the cost associated with education. So looking at tuition, learning materials, accommodation. So getting an understanding of what that is to have an idea of what amount of funding you need. And student loans can provide financial support for not only universities, but also trade schools. So it's important to note that you can use this for any kind of education. There are government student loans as well and financial institution loans. So they differ from each other. So be sure to do your research on which one would be a right fit for you. Um, An important piece as well to note is that through financial institutes, generally you do require a guarantor, so such as a parent or a guardian. And repayment while you're in school is often going to be just the interest only piece of it. So as a student, you're not required to have any income to qualify. 
we use the financial strength of the guarantor instead and that allows you to focus on your studies. So the smaller payment while you're in school and then once you've completed your school and you're in repayment, generally you'll have a job at that point so you can handle a bigger payment. So what we'll do is we'll amortize it over a period of time. So say for example, we'll put the loan over 10 years and then you'll have bigger payments back to the loan to get it paid down. Um, and a very important piece too is also to have a relationship with a financial advisor so that you can reach out for assistance that you require and they can help you with some personalized advice to help you achieve what's most important to you. Thanks, Anna. Love that Scottish accent. Like Zach said, debt can be overwhelming and intimidating. Wherever you are in your journey, it is so important to work with a financial advisor to build a plan to manage it. All right, we're in the home stretch with our interview with Zach. Let's get back to it. Going back to Big Brother real quickly, do you get paid to be on Big Brother? Yeah, so you get you get a little bit of money. I I want to say it's not it's not much. Mm -hmm. I think I think it was ten grand, but you're gone for three or four months. Yeah, and it's just the it's just the pay for rent and that type of stuff. But you're not spending it, so it just kind of accumulates. So right. when I got off the show, it was like, oh, here's kind of the rent money that they had given you while you were on the show. Yeah, but the budget is quite tight for Canadian shows. Right, so they're very. They, they don't be like, hey, come here. Here's $50,000 to come on the show. Like it's a like, signing bonus. Yeah, it's yeah. like we'll pay for the base level of rent right. and food, and that's about it. Yeah. So give me an update on your life now. What's what's coming down the pipeline for you? Life is pretty focused on school right now. It's it's the main thing that's going on. I have a girlfriend, Aiden in Saskatoon. We have a condo there. We're both just working. She's a resident now in family medicine. I'm in my last year, and, and the main focus right now is just to finish school. It's unfortunately something that consumes a hundred percent of your time totally. so for me a lot of the other things that i want to work on and try to engage with the community is just a little bit put on hold in terms of social endeavors as well as the pandemic has put a little bit of that to a halt mm -hmm. i want to get back to to teaching or doing some type of coaching i love doing that right. coaching sports or just getting out in the community in any way i can so that's something that hopefully we can get back to in the next year or two is just finding these different fundraisers and just fun things where you get people together for good causes. You have fun with it. You engage in, you know, networking and all mm -hmm. those different things. But for me right now, it's just, it's just really focusing on school, trying to get the last year done and wrapped up and it's like find a residency somewhere. Um, I would love to stay in Saskatchewan. For me, all the applications are going to really, you know, go to Saskatchewan for the, right. for the most part right now. And then obviously wherever the best opportunity pops up, we'll take, but it's a great province. It really is. I love the people here and the plan is to try to stay. Love that. We'd love to have you. So before we let you go, I'm going to hit you with some speed round questions to get to know you a little bit more on a couple of different levels. First one, Justin Bieber released his tour dates for 2022. I hear you are quite the believer. I will be there. You ha Have you gotten your tickets yet? I haven't yet. No, <laughs> I haven't seen Is he coming through Canada? Uh, I haven't looked. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not no. much of one myself, so yeah. uh, I'm not the best person to ask. I'll be there. <laughs> okay, but at whatever cost, I'll be there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, weirdest place you've ever been recognized? I was in, oh geez, where was I? I was on a ferry to an island in Mykonos. Oh, really? Yeah, I was in Greece, and a guy from Ireland recognized what? me. What? He was a huge Big Brother fan, Yeah. and he watched all the different international shows, and he came up to me this is like, this is also like three or four years after the show. Yeah. And he knew me from That's the show. crazy. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. And he would like had the accent from Ireland. Yeah. And I was like, you, like you're not even from Canada? Yeah. He's like, yeah. No, Oi, Zach. It's you. <laughs> yeah. It was so weird. Craig Reynolds and Dan Clark have been on, on the podcast and they say that you can recognize the look 
when somebody notices you. Like you could be in Costco yes. checking out TVs and somebody is looking at you and you're like, yeah, it's me. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of the most difficult things to answer is people say, or they say, where do I know you from? And <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I, I don't, or, or I'll just kind of play with it and be like, you look familiar as well. And we both kind of sit there and we're like, huh, hmm, yeah. yeah, I don't know where. You must be Nancy's kid, well, right? so Yeah, you must have went to, I went to Balfour. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Balfour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Sometimes I just play with it. Yeah. But I always I always find it weird. Like I, I said before, I just find it weird to be like, oh, I was I was on. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, yeah, yes, so good yeah. eye. Yes, yes. Next question. What's the biggest difference between actually being a doctor and what you see on TV shows? The very exciting stuff that you see on TV shows comes mm-hmm. in like once a year. Right. Right. Meredith Grey has fought a million different <laughs> volcanoes and plane crashes and stuff. You see this very rarely. Yeah. So that is the biggest. It's like a, usually a pretty calm day and people are usually healthier and stable. Yeah. More stable than you think. So those really rare, unique, you're just saving somebody's life. Yeah. Doesn't happen as often as you think it does as a doctor. So you haven't been held at gunpoint yet or like a bomb hasn't been in the no, hospital? No, I, I haven't. I haven't survived those moments yet. <laughs> it must be coming. Um, we hear a lot about like secret menu options at Starbucks and McDonald's, but I hear you have an order at the keg. Oh, geez. That is quite unique. I don't want to tell people this, but I, but I will divulge. Okay. So... My one friend, Zach Nenson, he's a server at the keg, and he says, I always eat the prime rib there whenever I go. And he says, hey, we have we have a 24-ounce prime rib that's all, not on the menu, but the chefs will cut it. <laughs> that's huge. It's a massive. And I have a, a weird ability to eat a lot of protein at one time. So I, I, I order it whenever I go there, and it's the, the most amazing prime rib, but I have to like fast all day so I can I can take yeah. it down. But yeah, Zach always laughs and people always, the, the servers are always just like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. So that's my, that's my secret order. It is available if you do ask the servers. What a talent. Ounce. What's it called? The 24 ounce prime rib. Prime it's rib. Just, the, the biggest one they serve is the 14 ounce. Okay. And then they will apparently supersize just, it. They'll just supersize it for you. So how much does that cost? I think it's 49 bucks. That's not that bad. It's not that bad at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, I don't go to the keg very often. So when I do right. go, it's like, I'm just going to treat myself. Yeah, exactly. My, yeah, it's my guilty pleasure. I'm going to put myself into a meat coma before <laughs> I go home. The last movie that made you cry. The last movie that made me cry was probably, have you seen The Upside? No. It's with Kevin Hart and... <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hart movie? It's a Yeah, it is a Kevin Hart movie, <laughs> I actually. I was not picturing so that. So Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Okay. It's a fantastic show. I actually, I don't know if this was my mom or my dad that gave this to me, but I have leaky tear ducts when I watch TV Do you? shows. So yeah. give, give me some, like, just start ripping them off. Well, people will always laugh because it's like shows like Undercover Boss where the, the person, <laughs> yes. like, changes someone's life. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, totally. a fan on my eyes right now? I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. So uh, I have this good ability to just, like, put my arm over my head when I watch shows with my girlfriend. Totally. So that I can just, like, try to maintain the tough guy perspective. But totally. Yeah. Um, what other shows? I mean, t- Titanic is probably the first one that I cried in as a kid and right. just returned to all the time just for a good Because you can really cleansing. relate to that, the old woman, when she says it's been 84 years. That's you in med school right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me finishing my training. <laughs> exactly. Just finally getting the MD, yeah. A couple more. What's a behind-the-scenes secret of Big Brother that we'd never expect? One time somebody left the shower on and it flooded out the top floor of the Big Brother house. Oh, what? And it was, we were sitting downstairs and it just started leaking through all of the lighting fixtures <laughs> and everything. Water was just pouring down and they're like, one of the upstairs showers is on. So we went out there and it started, all of the power went down in yeah. the Big Brother house. So then the producers 
basically were like, everybody go to bed, lay there and don't speak because they didn't want any big brother like talk going on while yes. the cameras were down. Yeah. So we all just had to go to our rooms and lay there while they like fixed the power, oh the power gosh. breakers and stuff. And it was the whole night. Yeah. It wasn't until the next day. Yeah. So that was a really unique thing about uh, the show was they did not want anything not on camera. Mm -hmm. They wanted every single conversation on camera. They did not want you to speak about anything totally yeah that was one thing and they always they kept you up they they kept you up late and woke you up very early mm -hmm. sleep was hard to come by in the big brother house yeah they do that on purpose yeah. Time. yeah yeah they don't let you nap yeah they'll buzz you every single time you nap yeah they'll, they'll come over your microphone and just start like get up like, really they'll wake, they'll wake you up the, and in the morning they have that like really loud rooster noise that comes on at like 5 a.m yeah and we don't have any perception of time either so yeah. there's no clocks yeah so oh, that must be so weird yeah so producers were saying after we would speak to them and they'd be like you guys actually some nights we would would only let you go to bed for like three or four hours yeah so we didn't actually know that at the time because your your time perception is a little bit off totally. right you don't know time which yeah. is such a weird thing but they, yeah, sleep deprivation was a big component of making people more and more stressed as well. Totally. You have all these pressure factors, you're in a pressure cooker and then you just get like three or four hours of sleep yeah. too. Yeah. And the thing about the American one is that they have a backyard, they have yeah. a sun, like you can in see, LA. exactly now, you can see what time of day it is. Like you watch the live feeds, like I think it's about eight o'clock. With you guys, you have access to the backyard like rarely. Yes. And it's, it's filmed in like, February. Yeah, like February, April. March. They all have to wear like those plaid like jackets. Yeah, in exactly. Order because it's, it's still not, snowing. Yeah, it's freezing out, but like you need to get some sort of Mason, sunlight. Mason, you, you know a lot about the show. I think an application is coming in. <laughs> I'm just, I'm obsessed with the show and the psych around it. So <laughs> I think yeah. you should get on there. Okay, last question. What connects us? I think the desire to just be better people connects us. Mm. Right now in our culture, in our society, especially moving through this pandemic, we've noticed so much that we're trying to become a better civilization mm -hmm. in so many different ways. There's so many cultural revolutions that are going on right now and struggles in terms of just, just different social movements and things that are happening. And it's society battling to, to improve. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a struggle in a lot of ways. You see a lot of conflict going on amongst it. But that's one thing that connects us is just humans' normal desire, just natural desire to be better and to improve. And that's something that is is challenging us this last year, especially in the pandemic. But I think it's an important component of really who we are is just finding new and better ways to make society something that is, is improving. Right. And, and that, that comes at a cost in, in every single way. But yeah, I, I think that that is, that is underlying something that connects us. Great answer. Zach, thank you so much for, for not just joining me, but from traveling to Saskatoon for this, hearing this part of your story, not just as a big brother fan, but um, as a fan of yours is, is so great. And it's amazing to see just how unchanged you are from your typical prairie boy. And what I mean by that is you're so rooted in your authenticity and humility, but you've also, you could tell you've had some leveled up experience and whether that is being a, a Rams player, whether that is being on big brother, whether that is being medical school, like such great life perspective that, that, you've shared with us and I can't thank you enough for it. So thank you so much. And likewise, yeah. thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. And similarly, I'm a fan of the show and the podcast. I think it's a great opportunity to hear and learn from people in Saskatchewan, which is a very uh, awesome job that you have. And, mm -hmm. and you do a really good job of it. I've listened to a, a good amount of the podcast, especially coming on this one. I yeah. checked a lot of them out and, and you have a good ability to dialogue with people. And I think that's a, an important part, part of 
podcasting right now. Yeah. So wow, thank you. Thanks yeah, for the of compliments. Course, of You're my favorite guest we've ever had on this show so far. So far. <laughs> Say that to everyone, eh? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's it with our chat with Zach and this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you like this podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and leave a review of the podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, I'm off to watch Flubber.